Hey guys, John Paulamy here, Actionable Intelligence. Today is Sunday, October 25th, and this is the weekly market update. You got to read the disclaimer. The content in this video is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any such information or other material as legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. All content in this video is information of a general nature and does not address the circumstances of any particular individual or entity. Nothing in the video constitutes professional and or financial advice, nor does any information on the video constitute a comprehensive or complete statement of the matters discussed or the law relating thereto. Long story short, it's your money, it's your responsibility. So, this is going to be my reality check this week, is going to be my views on the 2020 election. It's very contentious, I know that. I do think, though, that it does have repercussions for investing. Um, it doesn't really affect what I'm doing, but uh, it needs to be discussed, and I'm going to give my views, which I think are not in the consensus. Um, if you are triggered, if you don't like it, just skip it or tune out or go do something else. Don't write me emails trying to convince me and change my mind and tell me where I'm wrong. I'm just going to spam you. I don't care what you think. Okay? Everybody's entitled to their opinion. If you don't like the views, go start a YouTube channel and refute the views. That's all you need to do. That's the extent of it. All right. 2020 election prediction. Trump will be reelected. I do not I think the election will be very close. It'll be electoral victory like last time. I do believe he will win the popular vote just because of the large populations that are in California and New York and Illinois. Uh, but uh, places like that. But uh, in the end, uh, the election is going to come down to a few states, obviously Florida, North Carolina, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania. That's where uh, the candidates are spending a lot of their time, if you notice. So um, I'm going to talk about some reasons why. I mean, the polls are ridiculous, obviously. Um, I, I mean, they were ridiculous in 2016. They're ridiculous this time. You know, Biden having double-digit leads, just not accurate. And now what we're seeing in the media is just like last time is we're seeing the polls tighten, right? We're seeing them tighten because actually they were probably pretty close to begin with. And now we have to have a reason why, when Trump wins, uh, why the polls weren't wrong, right? I mean, it's all theater. It's all kabuki theater. You know, let me start by saying, making a statement. It doesn't really matter to me one way or another if Biden or Trump wins. I mean, the presidency doesn't really have that much effect directly on my life. Um, I know a lot of people don't think that way, but it's basically true. You're more apt to uh, have focus on your school board elections, local elections, where you can influence that, where you can have a real say. These people don't care what you do. I mean, this is all lobbyists, warfare, welfare state, welfare, warfare state. Nothing's going to change too dramatically. Yes, there's some things around some judges, but, you know, all these judges, you have to remember, regardless if they're conservative or liberal, they're all from the establishment, okay? And, uh, so in the end, you know, that's why there's some disappointment around Roberts and some of these things. People thought, well, he voted for the Affordable Care Act. He was supposed to be a conservative, blah, blah, blah. 
I mean, this is what I'm talking about. This is uh, these people come up in the establishment. They go to establishment schools. They're part of the establishment. They know they know each other. It's it's not that big of a difference. So, anyways, why do I think Trump will be reelected? Well, number one, he has the power of the incumbency. He is the president of the United States. Anytime he speaks, he's going to be on the news. He he is a master, whether you like him or not. He is a master at manipulating the media. He deliberately says things, you know, a lot of people that don't like him think he says things because he's stupid or he's an idiot. He does things, he'll make mistakes, grammatical mistakes, or say something that people think is stupid, but then the media focuses on that mistake, but it draws the media's attention to that particular topic, which is really his goal. So he's very good at, uh, that's one thing he is a master at. He's an entertainer. Uh, he had a successful show. Uh, he was in the New York real estate market and media market for decades. He knows how to get press. I mean, this is a guy that used to call into talk shows in New York and pretend he was a a subordinate of Donald Trump. He had some pseudonym and talk about how great Donald Trump was. It was just, I mean, he knows what he's doing with the media. And the incumbency he gets... You know, that has a lot to do with it. You, you know, you have a lot of initial advantage with that. You have a lot of momentum, if you will. Another thing, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to talk about the pandemic and the economy. That's already been done with. But here's some things that I look at that a lot of people don't look at. You know, there are more than 800,000 sworn law enforcement officers serving in the United States. And, you know... During the summer, we had all of these protests, if you will, rioting, I call it lawlessness, and the police were denigrated, it's the police's fault, blah, 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 okay. We've never, you know, in many cases, adjudicated any of these cases that I know of to a completion, so we can actually, you know, have, you know, guilty until proven innocent. We've went right, taken it right to the streets, revolution, and people have denigrated all police, uh, am I saying in a population of 800,000 law enforcement officers, there aren't people that are bad apples? Yes, there's bad apples in every every walk of life, every profession. That goes without saying. You're dealing with human beings. Um, but the way that the police have been maligned over the last few years, that they've been blamed for everything. I mean, they have a very tough job, right? Um, you're dealing you know, a society that I think has lost its moral compass. A lot of people doing a lot of you know, wild and crazy things, and you're dealing with this constantly. Now, that doesn't make it as an excuse for shooting people that are unarmed, but, you know, I'm not going to get into each individual case. What I am going to say is that's 800,000 people that have a lot of family members, that have a lot of friends, that have wives, that have children, that have parents, okay? And they see their loved one being maligned like this when they know them uh, as not to be that type of person. Uh, I'm not sure how many Biden supporters you have there. That's that's one one anecdotal thing. Now a lot of these are going to be anecdotal, and uh, they're not going to be uh, objective. Where you can go go to an article or give me a link, John, to prove this. I'm just giving you when I think about this, how people think, how human nature is. Um, you know, the number one priority for most people, and mostly your suburban mom, middle class, upper middle class, Karens, and 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 mommies, mommy bloggers, and all that stuff is they want to feel safe. They want law and order. They want, they, they have this little life they've created of, you know, crafts and Thanksgiving dinner and child activities and their little family unit, uh, blah, blah, blah. 
and uh, they don't want protesters walking down their street at three in the morning yelling, wake up, motherfucker, wake up. I mean, people don't like that. And uh, they don't like to see the cities that they work in or that they enjoyed things in being burnt down. They don't like to see things that scare them. And uh, they have been scared. And there's a certain amount of people in the public that don't like that and aren't, aren't going to... Uh, and, if, and if Trump puts himself up as law and order, you will notice that the Democrats... Once the polling and focus groups started showing that the uh, rioting and the lawlessness and the protests were were affecting uh, the prospects for Biden, they went away pretty quick. They've pretty much shut it down. You don't hear any more about it. Um, that I find interesting. Um, I'll give you another one. Many people are tired of cancel culture and being told they are the problem. You know, most people are not the problem. Most people are not driving around in a Ford pickup truck with a rebel flag and a rifle rack looking to go harass, you know, minority people. Most people are just living their life, doing their thing, going to work, dealing with their own problems, dealing with sick parents, dealing with problems in their business, dealing with problems at their job, coronavirus, somebody with Alzheimer's in the family. It goes on and on and on. Personal medical issues, okay? Everybody's got their own problems. And then, you know, you go and then all these people are laying all their, you know, historic racism. And just because you look in the mirror and, you, and you're of a certain skin color, you're the problem. People don't like being told that. I'm sorry. If you're of that, persu- it, very ma- it very well may be from a historical point of view that there's systemic racism in the country, whatever. That could very well be the case. That could be a factual statement. Most people don't care. I'm just going to tell you. They'll, they'll, if you pull them outside the grocery store, oh, uh, yes, uh, kumbaya, everybody should get along. I agree with that. Of course, people want, uh, you know, everybody to, uh, you know, get along. I mean, who wouldn't? You'd have to be a sociopath. But people don't like being told that they're the problem, okay, and it's their fault when they have their own problems, and they, they just don't feel that way. Whether they should or not, they don't. And uh, most people just want to be left alone and live their life. You know, another thing, we've had 5 million new gun owners in 2020. Five million new gun owners. This is a direct result of the coronavirus originally, and then this lawlessness and breakdown of law and order and this rioting. I mean, people can call it peaceful protest, but five million new gun owners. Now, does that mean that they're all going to vote for Donald Trump? No, it doesn't mean that. You can you can find examples of people, but I can guarantee you that if you just went out and bought a gun because you want to feel safe, this goes back to uh, the other priority where I said where people want to feel safe and want law and order. Are you going to vote for a party and for people that have said that they are for gun control? I mean, that dog doesn't hunt. Now, out of those 5 million people, like I said, most people are not all single vote issue issue voters. But, you know, I, you know I've been interested in like watching a guy like Tim Pool. I mean, the guy described himself as center-left, liberal. And, you know, he's, I mean, you'd think he's the biggest advocate for Donald Trump. He's, same thing, he's moving, he wants to move out of a big city out to a rural area. He's got a gun. Um, he's talking about some of these same issues. And this is a guy that's a millennial, okay? I'm telling you that people don't like disorder. People don't like uh, uncertainty. People want things calm. They want some certainty. They want stability. Now, the coronavirus thing, it's a lot of it's going to come down to whether people blame President Trump directly for a virus. I mean, viruses are going to virus. I mean... We've had viruses before. We've had H1N1. There was a big 
you know, I went over it before. We went through the swine flu in Vietnam when they brought back and we lost several hundred thousand people. I mean, I was shocked. I was reading about it the other day. You know, Lyndon Baines Johnson was in the hospital during that uh, particular flu, okay? Uh, he had to be, when he was president, you know, famous people died, you know, uh, um, during that. So this isn't the first time this has happened. Do people blame President Trump? We'll find out on November 3rd. I don't think everybody does. Maybe by the handling of it, but the press has maligned uh, anything the president has done, regardless, uh, you know. And now, does he help himself? No, but uh, on these things. But, you know, viruses are going to virus. There's, uh, you know, a saying that I like to, to say, you know, there's two kinds of people in the world, people that have had coronavirus and people that are going to get it. It's now going to circulate just like all the rhinoviruses, coronaviruses, different viruses, cold and influenza viruses that we're going to, it's just going to keep popping up. So it's not Ebola. You know, if you're under 65, you have a 99.85% chance of living. I mean, we're going to look back on this thing and say, my God, how, how crazy did we get? So we'll see if that, what effect that has. But, you know, 5 million new gun owners, I'm not sure they're all going to want to vote to have their guns confiscated. You know, here's another one. You know, the NBA, which is predominantly African-American players, that goes without saying, went full all the way in on Black Lives Matter. You know, and, uh, you know, we can debate whether what that really means, what if Black Lives Matter is a real, you know, Marxist you know, front group or whatever, uh, what, what's their real agenda? That doesn't regress. People, again, the facts are that they had 48% less viewers than they had last year. And the uh, head of the NBA commissioner said that, that, that quietly at the end of the season, we're dropping that next year. We're not going to be, you know, we're not going to be doing that. Now, it very well could be that the drop in fans was because coronavirus, there was no fans in the stadiums, you know, it was kind of a, played in a vacuum. Maybe that's the case. But I'm not sure it is because we're seeing, you know, other people, people are pissed off. It goes back to what I said before. People are tired of the cancel culture and being told that they're the problem. Sport, they want to go to a sports event to escape reality, not be told how horrible they are and pay to do it. You know, the polls are tightening just like in 2016. I mentioned it earlier. Now, you know, I've seen uh, where several polls have said that Pennsylvania is a toss-up. Okay, if you look at the early voting, um, the Democrats are not ahead where they were last year or last election. Uh, this thing's going to be closer than a lot of people think. And the la one of these other intangibles I want to talk about, I mean, look at the Trump rallies. They're high energy. There's tens of thousands of people at these things. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't, you know, you know, a lot of the Biden people are hiding in their basements like Joe Biden. They're afraid, you know, they're running around with two masks on and, and, and thinking this is Ebola. So maybe maybe they're just, you know, that, that 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 majority of people is really like that and it's really sad if that's what our country has become but if that's the case but the, you know there's no energy in biden i mean he 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 doesn't have tens of thousands of people he doesn't have people lining the streets in california last you know was it, now granted it was in orange county for miles for miles pe trump supporters now it was in orange county which is traditionally republican but, you know, when the Trump caravan was going through there, it was you, I haven't seen anybody do that for Biden. Anybody. Anywhere. It's just low energy. He's hiding in his basement. He's trying to play out the string and hope that, uh, you know, his enablers in the media, his allies in the media, and uh, Trump derangement syndrome and enough people. You know, this is really not an election about Joe Biden. It's 
do enough people not like President Trump? That's, in my view, what it comes down to. And let's just say this at the end. Joe Biden's a terrible candidate. The guy is old. He, he is stutter, stumbling around. I mean, low energy. I mean, this guy's a mess. It, it appears he may have the early stages of dementia. And uh, people see that. Now, there's, you know, people that are hardcore DNC Democrats, they don't care. You could put, a, you know, you could put a hand puppet up there. You could put, you know, a stuffed animal up there. They don't care. Okay, you could put a cartoon character. They don't care. They're going to vote for it. But, you know, that's not the majority of people. So he's a terrible candidate. And, uh, you know, he, he it's low energy all the way. It's just, uh, it's terrible. It's awful that his family's put him through this. Now, I'm not going to get into all of the scandals, but that's certainly not helping things. I mean, let's let's be honest. I mean, for heaven's sakes, this could be anything from his son's just, you know, unfortunately, he has a, a drug-addicted son who is a near-do-well that uh, makes a lot of poor choices and it reflects on his family to all the way to the end of the other end of the spectrum where this is the Biden crime family and, the, and they sold influence. Him, his son, his brothers, uh, his daughter, uh, you know, this could be uh, a big deal. But uh, those questions are getting asked now, okay? It's not, it's not going to help. So in the end, I think Trump squeaks out a victory. Um, and I'm not going to talk about what happens after that. We went a little long. I've given my, some of my anecdotal reasons why I think this is going to happen. You can choose to agree. It's food for thought, right? But in the end, I don't think it really matters too much to us, really. Great article came out. You know, I'm a big advocate of the Grand Solar Minimum. Uh, we're entering a La Nina now. We have a lot of things, con uh, confluences coming together. And this is actionable in my view. Why? We, you know, when I start talking about global cooling or the grand solar minimum, people think that I'm talking about an ice sheet appearing, you know, a mile thick all the way down to like Iowa or something. That's not what I'm talking about. You know, you don't need much of an average drop in temperature before you start shortening the growing seasons on each end of the grain season. Okay. What I'm saying is, as you short, we talked about this with Sean Hackett several months ago when I interviewed him, the grain trader, commodities trader. If you shorten the growing season in the spring and you get the crop in late and then you have to harvest early or you have damage because of frost, if you shorten it by a week or two on each end, that's a big deal. That means yields go down substantially. That is what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about a new ice age. I'm talking about global temperatures dropping, uh, you know, a half a degree or a full degree on average, and that is a problem. That will be a problem for feeding all the people in the world. Um, and this, you know, recent, uh, this is the Investor's Business Daily editorial. NASA data show that global temperatures dropped sharply over the past two years. From February 2016 to February 2018, global average temperatures dropped by 0.56 degrees Celsius. That is the biggest two-year drop in the past century. You know, it's interesting, this wasn't even mentioned anywhere in the news because it doesn't fit the narrative does not fit the agenda, okay? We are going to have global warming. We are going to have CO2-induced global warming. We need to counter it. It means trillions of dollars of investment, okay? A lot of people's rice bowls are counting on this. We are not reversing course. This will not be reported, okay? But reality doesn't care what you want or what you think. It only matters what it is. Now, am I suggesting that 
two years of data means we should panic? No. I'm not going to be like the global warming people that every time there's a hurricane or a tornado or a thunderstorm, they go, see, see, there, there's proof. I'm not saying anything. What I am saying is, is that this, this is what I was expecting to begin to happen, and it's starting to happen. And it's coinciding directly with the solar minimums and the lack of sunspots and the other uh, phenomenon that are coming together at the same time. The editorial goes on to say, at some point, the news will leak out that all global warming since 1980 has been wiped out in two and a half years and that record-setting events went unreported. And in the editorial, they say that the danger is, is that people then shift spectrum shift, right, from global warming to global cooling and overreact, okay? And what I'm trying to tell you is, is that this is possibly going to be actionable. You know, grain prices are creeping up. Have you been watching them? Now, they haven't went on a big run yet. They're coming up along resistance. I didn't put charts up, but you can go look at the DBA. You can look at wheat. You can look at corn. These things are moving higher. And it's in the context of an inflationary uh, mindset being created around the world by central banks. So you've got more wind in your sails is what I'm saying. So this phenomenon needs to be watched. It needs to be taken seriously. It doesn't matter if you agree with it. At least look at the articles. Look up, you know, Valentina Zarkova's lectures on you know sunspots and global warming she's done the work okay she's actually had to pull back because i think she got a lot of incoming fire but you should apprise yourself of this it was this is a historical narrative this is not something that hasn't not this is stuff that has happened before and it led to great economic social political uh ramifications and complete dynasties have fallen because of weather you know climate change Climate change does happen, okay? Whether or not it's CO2-induced man-made is a different story. I don't believe it is strictly that. There's other influences, and to ignore them is just, in my mind, stupid. You know, I wanted to point out, uh, just as a barb, uh, just because I'm from Minnesota, uh, I live in Texas, obviously, now. Lower taxes, uh, less regulation. But anyways... Uh, Snow that has blanketed parts of the northern Rockies, northern plains, upper Midwest, and northern New England set October records in multiple locations, and more snow is on the way through early next week as far south as Texas. They've had more snow in October in Minnesota than they've ever had. Now, one weather event does not make a trend, but I'm trying to tell you is uh, there's other things going on. It would behoove you to at least understand those and not just discount them uh, out of hand. More signs of a bottom in oil, in my view. Uh, the other side of the argument would be, well, the oil industry is going away. It's a choo-choo train, 19th century industry. We don't need oil anymore. That's why all these oil companies are merging. Uh, what I would say to you is that a sustained lower price environment exacerbated by the coronavirus demand drop is forcing these mergers, and the strong are going to, or stronger are going to gobble up the weaker. This is what you would want to see at a bottom, in my view. You know, Canadian oil and gas uh, producer Synovus Energy, who's a very huge oil sands operator, will buy Pier Husky Energy in an all-stock transaction valued at $23.6 billion, inclusive of debt, the company said in a joint statement on Sunday. It actually was announced this morning, today. Uh, going back for some other biggies in the last weeks, couple weeks, few weeks, ConocoPhillips agreed to buy Concho Resources for about $9.7 billion in stock. 
the largest shale industry deal since the collapse in energy demand earlier this year, and one that will create a heavyweight driller in America's most prolific oil field. And then uh, there's another one that happened early in October. Chevron completes $13 billion acquisition of Noble Energy. What I'm trying to tell you is, is this is indicative, in my view at least, um, the lack of capital, the weak players, the debt, the assets, you know, like I said, don't go away. They just go to the strong hands. And we've already seen banks pull back on their financing. Uh, they've been burned enough times. We've seen announcement after announcement after announcement that company managements are going to focus on returns on investment, not just drilling for the sake of drilling. You know, the incentives were set for many of these executives that they were incentivized by their stock option awards to drill, to have production increases, increase production for the sake of increasing production. Well, we know from um, that incentives matter. You show me the incentives and I'll tell you the outcome. And now that's all reversing. And what we're seeing is now the lack of funding, the lack of ability to for these, these companies to to continue on, shall we say, uh, so they are forced into merging. This is consolidation into stronger hands and a sign of a bottom, in my view. Uh, if you think oil's going away, if you think that uh, uh, we don't need oil and gas anymore, then this would probably indicate to you that uh, this is dying industries and dying industries uh, consolidate and are constantly fighting their rear guard action as they go move towards extinction. I don't share that view. Thought this was interesting. Chinese stockpile copper as part of their five-year plan. Uh, I'll put links to all these articles in the show notes, as I always do. I want to give you the opportunity to see where I'm getting this information so you can read it for yourself and not just take my editorial uh, view on it. China's blueprint to stockpile copper expected in five-year plan. According to city analyst Max Layton, potential catalysts for stockpiling include deteriorating relations with the United States, and the COVID-19 crisis highlighting the need to ensure China's stocks can withstand any supply disruptions. Quote, China imports around 80% of its annual copper consumption, which was, is 10.9 million tons of the 13.5 million tons it needs. Those imports represent more than one-third of the copper market. What I've said before is when China decides to do something in a market, especially a commodity market, if they decide to go all in, it can affect the price. You will note also that the copper price is well above $3 a pound now. It's hovering around $310, $315, somewhere in there. It's in a definite uptrend. Uh, the, all the indicators are aligned. It's in a bull market. Uh, do I know how high it will go? No, I do not. But it is a indicator of the, I think, uh, several things. Lack of investment in new copper mines, so supply is constricted, as is all commodities. Uh, increased demand because of the economic recovery after COVID. I mean, China's going, is economy's growing again. They've lifted most of the restrictions. The rest of the restrictions around the world are going to start coming off. Economies are going to start improving, and copper demand is going to go up. And also, I think that, you know, I don't have time to talk about in this video, but there's going to be a conflict with China in the next decade. I mean, becoming increasingly convinced of that. And China realizes that too. And they're not going to kick this thing off and do what they think they need to do until they have their supply chain, they have critical materials stocked up, okay, because they're eventually going to make a play for Taiwan and some other areas in the South China Sea. And, uh, you know, we'll have to see what that means. 
but uh, I think that stockpiling materials is a very prudent thing to do, especially if there's going to be further disruption in the supply chain. You know, there's a emerging, if not, I wouldn't even say it emerging, there is a definite Cold War going on between the United States and China. Uh, depending on how this election goes, uh, it could either intensify or get, uh, you know, come off boil. We will see. But this is very important, I think. Uh, when China decides to do something, it can and will affect markets. Another tidbit, you know, sometimes we have these one-offs, you know, we talk about Bitcoin being bought by several corporations. Uh, we talk about, you know, the Ohio State Police and Fire Pension Fund, a $16 billion pension fund, now putting a 5% allocation into gold. News this week that uh, the Chilean pension funds have been authorized to buy gold ETFs. Why? For diversification. Why? Because you have $16 trillion in negative yielding government bonds. Um, you're going to see more of this. I, that's what I forecasted. We're going to see more and more movement towards hard assets. Warren Buffett buying a stake in Barrick Gold. Um, more of your heavy hitters you know, taking positions in gold and gold mining shares, um, pension funds moving. If, when you see this pension fund money moving, we talked about it last week with John Hathaway of Sprott when he said that, you know, of the $100 trillion in pension money around the world, or not pension money, but investment funds under management, if 1% of that were to try to go into gold, it cannot happen. The market would not clear, which means the gold price would go up sufficiently that you would not be able to, the people that wanted to buy that gold could not do it. So that's what I anticipate happening. And it's, this snowball starting to pick up speed. It seems like every week we're getting another announcement of some entity being either allowed to buy gold or buying gold as a asset. And this is what happened in the 70s. A lot of you young guys weren't around. This is what happened in the 70s and early 80s. People didn't have a 60-40 Edward Jones target to 2045 portfolio of 60% stocks, 40% bonds. I mean, bonds were called certificates of confiscation because the inflation rate was higher than the interest rate. Therefore, you were losing money. You were losing purchasing power. That is happening again. And so people are not stupid. People, uh, well, most people that are managing money are not stupid. And this thing will gain more and more adherence the further we go down into this deal. Good um, interview, I'll put it in the other site, the curation site, uh, link I'll put to that. Uh, Stephanie Kelton, the um, MMT advocate who wrote the book, The Deficit Myth, was interviewed on Macro Voices with Eric Townsend. I will put a link to that, it's a very excellent uh, uh, interview. You, you need to start thinking about this. This is where we're going over the next decade, whether you like it or not. And people that get positioned first are the ones that are going to be um, safe and the people that are going to be able to benefit. Uh, people are going to come around to the fact that they're being ripped off by these governments and their currency uh, manipulation. All right, that's it for this week. I uh, hope I aggravated and pissed off enough people on this call. We'll see how the comments look, but uh, this, this, one, this one ought to blow up uh, pretty good. Thanks for uh, listening, guys, and uh, we'll talk to you next time.